Welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by North Coast. It's October 6th. 2021. And on today's show, of course, we have Justin Nielsen, myself, your host, and Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, joining us as he does every week. Thanks for being here, Arusha. Hey, great to be here, Justin. I'm, I'm glad you brought yourself on too. <laughs> yes, I, I, I usually do. I try to. Uh, yeah, th- thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for noticing. Um, yes, we actually just came off of a great Founders Club um, event that we had out, up in Napa. We both survived that. It was a lot of fun seeing, seeing people in person. Um, and I should also mention that on the show today, we also have uh, Nina Decca, who will be coming on a little bit later. Uh, she's returning to the show. I, I I actually listened to your uh, podcast when you did this uh, with Nina Arusha. Uh, it was one of the ones I listened to. You know, every now and then I did. You know, Thanks tune for in. the support. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but she's a senior analyst at Robo Global, and gosh, I mean, it's just so interesting all of the things that are happening in healthcare technology. So we'll be bringing her on in a little bit. But first, Arusha, how about you and I talk a little bit about the market? Uh, then we'll bring Nina on, get into the. Uh, healthcare trends that are going on, and, and I'm sure Nina will have a few stocks for us. But uh, this market has certainly been pulling back. Uh, we've, you know, those those 50, 000, uh, 15,000 level, 15,400 level that we saw just a few weeks ago. Uh, seems like 14,000 is is coming a little bit closer, and that's getting a little bit further in the rearview mirror. Um, now we haven't gotten down to the 200-day moving average line, but it does seem like, at least on the NASDAQ composite and the S&P 500, uh, that we are starting to live below that 50-day line a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, we're having something, potentially could be having something called a correction. It's It's been a while <laughs> since we've had that. So but, for those of you that haven't been investing for so long, yes, a correction yes. is, what, what is a correction, Arusha? A correction some, is a, a lot of times a correction can be just be an intermediate pullback too, yeah. 8 to 12% off the highs. The markets take a couple of months off uh, and they're tough if you are heavily invested on margin, you can give a lot back at that point. But there are also tremendous opportunities if you're protecting yourself and being patient and letting stocks settle down again before starting to build those positions. Yeah. Now there's two things that I always think of, you know, number one, and this, this partially just comes from the experience that I had in 2000. Look, not to brag here, but I got out in 2000 so well, but man, did I mess it up in 2001 and 2002, gave away a lot of profits, just trying to get back in, trying to make money when the market was clearly signaling that there, was, there wasn't money to be made, um, or at least very easily. So you have to just be very careful in that environment. Mark Minervini, last week, um, he was our guest, and he was talking about sit-out power. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be completely in cash, but I think reducing your exposure considerably uh, makes sense. And that's what we've been you know, telling people. Uh, that's what we've been doing. Uh, a lot of us have been talking about that on I- IBD Live. So are you completely out, Arusha, or are you still dabbling a little bit here and there? I have very little, just, just some pilot positions. And it's just very simple. A number of the stocks I had, and they were more, more high multiple technology related stocks, they got hit. So it forced me out. Uh, so yeah, so now I'm trying to develop that sit-out power, just letting stocks set up. And um, I know that there's going to be another big opportunity, so I don't want to drift too far away. Right. But we are in a market in, in correction. We've collected a lot of distribution days. And so you just want to you want to respect that because you never know how far it can drop. Maybe, maybe we're hit, hit the bottom right now. We don't know. But mm-hmm. it could go lower, and so you want to let the market prove itself again. Yeah, there's all those sayings about trying to catch a falling knife and, and all of those things. And again, just to put in perspective, look, 8 to 12%, that is normal. You usually will get at least one of those every year. Um, you know, For a lot of people, that's something that they haven't seen in their investing career. But this is normal. And even better, it sets up a lot of opportunities. Uh, this is where the bases get formed. This is where the new... Uh, the new stocks start coming out and you know looking spectacular. The relative strength lines are holding up well, and it just gives you a whole new reset almost to uh, another potential uptrend. So optimism overall. 
the, 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 big, the big takeaway here on the market is, you know, be careful out there. This isn't the time to go aggressive. This is really just um, wait and let the market tell you when it's time. Um, certainly read some of the stuff that we have on follow through days. That's usually the signal that we look for uh, when the market turn is happening. Um, but more than anything, be careful out there. So with that said, let's go ahead and bring Nina on. And uh, Nina, so glad you could join us again. Um, I, again, I found your your last podcast that you were on the show just absolutely fascinating. Um, Bill Studebaker, uh, also of RoboGlobal, the president of uh, RoboGlobal, he was on. Uh, he was one of our first guests when Arusha was taking a step back from the hosting position. And I just I felt like it was, you know, my, my days of reading Robert Heinlein and uh, Isaac Asimov all over again with all of the science fiction stuff that just seems to be, you know, coming into play. So thanks a lot for being here, Nina. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show today. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and start out um, by maybe just doing some of these broad themes. And of course, uh, Robo Global, you have a number of ETFs and the one that you seem to be most uh, kind of tied to uh, with the research that you do is um, HTEC. And uh, tell us a little bit about what it is that you're looking for, uh, for the components to go into HTEC and what's happening in healthcare in general. Yeah, so just some background, RoboGlobal uh, is a, a thematic uh, strategy shop. So we're looking at um, overall robotics, automation, AI, health tech, and our first ever flagship strategy, ticker Robo, R-O-B-O, includes healthcare. And over the seven years since its inception, we learned that there was so much happening in healthcare that it warranted its own strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is if you look at the healthcare landscape, there's a lot of problems. Uh, right now we've got um, the, the people over age 85 are expected to double by 2040. Meanwhile, we've got a nursing shortage as it stands and that's expected to grow. Over half the nurses in the United States right now are over age 50 and likely to retire out of the system. New nurses who come in only practice for a couple of years before they go on to do something else. Um, so, so we do have an issue here with not enough uh, supply of providers to look after the growing population of people who need the most care. Meanwhile, <laughs> we have an issue with uh, with medical error already today. It's the third leading cause of death. And so when you factor in that, we all What do you mean by medical error? Is this, is this you know, problems with the instruments, problems with the diagnoses, problems with the, the physicians? What, what is medical error? Why is that so big? It could come from a lot of places. For example, uh, if you have an incorrect blood draw, um, something happens to your blood specimen uh, on the way to the lab, and then therefore the resulting uh, the diagnosis um, could be inaccurate. Over 70% of medical decisions come from lab results. But also mm -hmm. one of the biggest areas is, um, is pharmaceutical medication error. So uh, meds are prescribed. Let's say one physician, one patient over age 65 has maybe they're on 12 different meds. They've got meds from their different physicians that they see. And the status quo is that the doctors aren't talking to one another right. to coordinate what the patient's on. So, um, so you could actually result in, this could lead to hospitalization and even death in some cases. Hence why medical error can be the third leading cause of death, is the third leading cause of death in the United States. So, um, and that problem, imagine what I just said about the aging population, and uh, not enough uh, the supply of workforce to look after them. And we already have a problem with medical error. So that problem is probably gonna grow. Mm -hmm. So all of this to say that this whole environment, this confluence of these issues is screaming for disruption and innovation. And, uh, and it's happening, it's happening rapidly. And, uh, and we're, we're still in the very early days of it. So, so there's a, there's a long runway here. Uh, and we're going to look back in 10 years and be like, wow. And, and, and laugh about things like, do you remember when we used to, uh, go to the doctor in person <laughs> right. for something simple, like a sinus infection, yeah. wait so, in a waiting room and yeah, with a bunch remember, of other sick the people. waiting room where everyone's sneezing on you. Right. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the broad themes here? Uh, again, you know, the, the, the medical error, I mean, that's huge. Um, but, you know, what are some of the ways, I guess, in which companies are tackling these problems? Uh, again, as yeah. you said, there's low supply, high demand, um, you know, something needs to be done. So what, what are some of the themes that companies are doing? And you're right. And there, there's a lot of things being done so many that it's really hard to get your head around it. So we, right. we think about it in five different areas. Um, right. So basically we're looking at uh, digitization. 
Healthcare mm-hmm. is one of the furthest behind sectors uh, uh, in terms of digitization. It only just went electronic. I mean, medical records charts were on paper up until very recently, over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it came from the, the high-tech stimulus, uh, the $35 billion from the government to invest in electronic health records. So um, with that, you've got now people's uh, records on in a computer versus on paper, you can start to do some really cool things like data analytics and, and population health management. Um, and then another major theme is decentralization. We're seeing care move to lower cost settings. For example, you might ne- necessarily need to go to the hospital anymore for, uh, for surgery. You might be able to go to a tertiary facility and walk out the same day. Um, we saw a huge example of decentralization last year with the accelerated adoption of telemedicine medicine. Yeah. More people can see a doctor right from the comfort of their own home or their office. And, uh, and so that's, that's yet another example of care moving to lower cost settings. Um, a third theme is consumerization. People are shopping more for medical care now, like they did shop for anything else for years. Now that things are being more digitized, we have access to transparency. We can make choices as informed consumers about where we want to get our care. And that's going to drive up quality and, and force providers and, and, and payers to compete mm-hmm. uh, for patients' business. And um, then we've also got two more themes, personalization of medicine. So the one size fits all of, of medical treatment is is slowly starting to wane and the focus is more on um, what the individual's illness is, what's their genetic makeup, what's the genetic makeup of the, 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 the tumor, for example, and then how do we come up with a therapy to treat that exact issue. And so we're seeing a lot more uh, precision medicine, uh, things like gene editing, uh, mm-hmm. gene therapy, um, uh, where a di- also like companion diagnostics, um, where you need a test and then you, you have a corresponding therapy to treat very specific types of cancer. And then the last theme we think of is the theme of prevention. How do we keep people from getting sick to begin with and uh, really keep an eye on the population and keep them healthy so that they don't go down the, the road of becoming sicker and then comprising most of uh, the healthcare's costs. Yes. Let's and, uh, and actually, you... let, let's, let's go back to that consumerization because that, that was pretty interesting. And that, that was a little surprising to me with the transparency of, mm-hmm. of prices and things like that. I, are, they, are, are prices becoming more transparent there or is that just kind of that process is just starting because the insurance company is obviously still involved in that. I, I, I mean, that, that kind of was, was oh. a little surprising to me. Both. So uh, it, it kind of goes back to um, the the increased adoption of of your um, um, the what is it called when you have to meet the um, your the deductible. Benefit. Yes. Deductible. Yeah. High mm-hmm. deductible health plans. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was that it was that long ago that I forgot what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the high deductible health plan adoption. So now mm-hmm. people went from having they, to meet a hundred dollars out of pocket before health insurance kicks in to now a thousand, five thousand, even ten thousand for some families. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're basically paying for so much of your own health care, you have a right to to pick and choose where you get that care. Maybe you don't want to get that multi-thousand dollar MRI at the large university medical center, you might want to go to Joe's MRI at the the plaza down the street um, because now you have to pay for more of it out of pocket. So so where is this transparency coming from? Uh, It could come from a lot of different places. We're seeing um, uh, for corporate initiatives, companies like GoodRx are helping to bring uh, the the choice of how much you pay for drugs into your pocket. Um, Companies like... um, uh, uh, well, actually, all the, all the payers, United Healthcare, are offering their own app where you can often download and then uh, search for an actual treat uh, um, uh, exam that you're going to be getting or a diagnostic test that you're going to be getting, and and see what what the price of that is or how much oh. they're willing to reimburse for it. So there are tools that are out there, and uh, and there's further companies that help. Um, implement some sort of concierge service so that let's say a patient's trying to figure out where they want to get different treatment or where they want to buy their drugs. You can call a phone number. Uh, Companies like Accolade will provide that type of service where you can actually um, phone them and and say, or or look at an app on your phone and just say, okay, this is where I should probably get that care because one, it's in my network. It's going to be covered. Mm -hmm. 
two, here's the price of it. Oh, and here's some quality ratings. So, um, so there's been an increased adoption of that. But I guess my question to you as consumers of healthcare is how often have you utilized a tool like that? If you're not familiar with where you can find out the price of things and how transparent uh, you, the level of transparency you have access to, then maybe adoption uh, still has a long runway for growth. And, and I think that that's the latter, that we, we have yet to see more and more adoption in terms of pricing transparency. Well, I feel like even the, you know, the high deductible health plans, I mean, that's something that I think people are still getting used to. And it's, it's one of those things that you're fine until you get hit with one of those big bills. And then you're right. like, oh, my gosh, you know, and then, you know, maybe maybe you have to let it go that first time because, you know, there's nothing you can do. It's already done. But the next time you start to pause a little bit and, you know, you start to think a little bit about, okay, before I make this decision, is there anything else I can find? And again, the internet just, you know, provides a lot of information, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but I guess with some of these companies uh, helping you out, you know, to a certain degree, or again, insurance companies, you know, maybe even offering some, some more services. I mean, whether it's a, sure. The, the employee, you know, uh, assistance plans, uh, you know, where you can have someone kind of walk you through uh, some of the, the charges if you have something big coming up, getting that pre-approval. I mean, there's yeah. all sorts of things, I feel like. Optum uh, implemented that. Uh, right. They're an early adopter of that where uh, they, they guided their employees to utilize a, a triage service that would help guide where they get whatever care it is that they're seeking. And that will actually help reduce costs in the long run. Let's say um, you, you need a prescription refilled and your local doctor office is closed. It's a Saturday or it's after 10 o'clock at night or whatever the case may be, you can't get to a doctor. Uh, a lot of people's next chance is the emergency room. Well, mm -hmm. that's a really right. expensive visit to get a prescription refilled. So if your health insurance company can guide you uh, appropriately, um, they're, they're very incentivized to do that because right. they'd rather not pay the extra $500 for an ER visit that wasn't really necessary. Yeah. So, uh, so they're very incentivized to provide these types of tools to guide people and, and triage them to the right areas of care. And I definitely want to get back into some of these incentives that are out there for some of these companies um, that are really kind of shifting, I think, the, the landscape. So we'll take a break right now. And when we come back, Nina's going to dive into a little bit more of these themes and the companies that are really changing the landscape. Stay tuned. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you are especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash visit northcoastam.com slash tactical. All investments involve risk, including loss of some or all of an investment. May not be suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Okay, and welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with my good friend and almost co-host, but you know, <laughs> let's say special guest, Arusha Pires, and of course, our real guest, Nina Decca from RoboGlobal, senior analyst there. And again, you were throwing a lot of themes out before the break. Um, let's go ahead and dive a little bit deeper. Um, why don't we start with the whole prevention? You know, we, we weren't able to touch on that too much. Um, you, you mentioned the medical error, you know, so there's certainly some prevention opportunities there, but what other types of uh, preventative medicine uh, themes are out there to kind of help uh, drive these costs down? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways to invest in this, really. So if you look at the the theme of um, virtual care, we expect yeah. virtual care to underlie every facet of healthcare in the next 10 years. And, and what does that mean exactly? If you think about um, somebody with a day job who's pretty much healthy and can go to work every day on their own, uh, come home, keeps himself fed, uh, et cetera, that person's probably not utilizing a lot of healthcare costs and services. Um, mm -hmm. And they probably only see a physician for like six minutes a year. If, if that individual is even going to their annual, if they're on top of it, right. <laughs> right. Even going. Exactly. that's right. That's right. So preventative care is really like encouraging that, that one wellness visit a year. Um, it's for the people who, who are maybe not starting to see signs of prediabetes, catching that before it escalates all the way to, to full blown diabetes. 
And so, uh, so, so really what we're seeing is an increased attention in that primary care setting, because I don't think as a society, we've been taking enough advantage of this primary care um, point. Uh, it's like the, this, this could be the quarterback of managing all of our healthcare needs. And, and we really just haven't been leveraging it from a preventative wellness standpoint. Companies like uh, One Medical are very well positioned for that because they create this nice um, uh, waiting room with green tea and you feel uh -huh. like you're sitting on restoration hardware furniture and, and it's just a pleasant experience. Um, uh, Teladoc just launched a 360 program where they're looking at patients customers, consumers holistically, and they're offering everything 360. So from a physical need, mental wellness standpoint, and making sure that they're just keeping an eye on the patient, um, sending them nudges, reminders, uh, and, and really just looking after their overall care. So those are a couple of examples. There's an organization called PACE, and this is not um, uh, necessarily something that you'd invest in from the uh, HTEC ETF, but there's a company that sells into PACE. So what do I mean by PACE? Programs for all-inclusive care of the elderly. This is like a nursing home on steroids. And what it does is it provides all of the care for, uh, for the elderly or people who qualify. Um, and, and it enables them to live at home in their, own, in their own home. It'll give them rides to the doctor, rides to the PACE center. They can socialize with their friends there. It'll give them a ride home at the end of the day, make sure that uh, their, their meds are included and that they're, they're taking the right meds at the right time. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but people over age 65 are on an average of 12 meds. And, um, and the older they get, that number grows. And that can be really tough to manage. Which medicine do I take? What time of day? Right. Company called Tabula Rasa, ticker uh, TRHC, offers a pharmacy service and a software platform that will essentially intercept. When, so when the doctor prescribes a new medicine, they'll take a look at the patient's overall medication regimen and say, you know what, um, you're already taking something like that. Uh, so why don't you hold off on that, that particular drug, or mm -hmm. maybe they're taking two drugs that might interact. Mm -hmm. Uh, we mentioned earlier, medical error being a leading cause of death. Well, a lot of that will come, um, unintended consequences of prescribing the wrong meds where two drugs interact and that could hospitalize a patient. Right. And so if you have, um, a sophisticated software program like Tabula Rasa's, it'll help uh, actually keep people out of the hospital and lower overall medical costs. And the beauty of this for the PACE organization who uses the software is that they'll actually get to increase their profit margin because uh, they're on a capitated system. They get money from Medicare and Medicaid to watch these patients mm -hmm. and uh, whatever, whatever they don't spend on the care of the patient, they get to keep. So, uh, so we're seeing an increase in PACE facilities around the nation. Some are even for-profit facilities because they're finding that, hey, if we can keep these patients healthy, keep them out of the hospital, we can actually improve our bottom line. Yeah. So it's a really cool model. And this company, Tabula Rasa, is very well positioned for the growth. Mm -hmm. And so a couple, just, uh, just to throw out another couple tickers that you mentioned. Uh, so One Medical, uh, O-N-E-M. Uh, this is one that, you know, really kind of came out you know, strong from its IPO. It's been, it's been basing for a little bit, which is fairly typical after an IPO where you kind of go through that institutional due diligence phase. Um, and then uh, what was the other one that you mentioned? Um, oh, uh, Teladoc. Teladoc. Of oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. TDOC, um, yeah. which again, that was, that was one of the big uh, cor coronavirus beneficiaries. Um, and then of course they had that big, uh, big acquisition of Lobongo. Um, yeah. you know, and, and these were, these were actually some of the stocks that you were talking about, I think last time you were on the right. broadcast. Yeah. Oh. And some updates there, cause these have been kind of controversial. Uh, they were, um, Teladoc in particular was, was on fire last year when, mm -hmm. when people discovered what telemedicine was we expect virtual care to underlie every facet of healthcare. And the telemedicine visit, the doctor-patient visit, is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. We're talking about full integration with doctor-to-doctor -doctor communication, device-to-doctor, device-to-patient, patient-to-device, uh, device-to-device. All these integrations require a high, high level of sophistication and, uh, and, and a platform. And Teladoc is a company that can, that can provide this platform to hospitals, health systems, employers, and so, uh, so this, this acquisition of Livongo is just another part of their overall pie of being able to provide this, this care for the patient from a 360 point of view, whether they're in the hospital or at home managing their diabetes or their weight management. So, mm -hmm. uh, so they really offer the whole package. And, um, and, and I will say that 
people thought that telemedicine was just going to be a pandemic trend, but Teladoc's uh, visit volume, the number of doctor patient visits that they had in the second quarter of this year grew 28% year over year. Remember, second quarter last year was the height of the lockdown around the world. So the fact that they're already exceeding last year's number in visit volume shows that this theme is here to stay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then One Medical has been pretty controversial lately because of their acquisition of Iora Health. Um, So I mentioned earlier that you've got um, a lot of patients, the, the kind of patient that, that still has a job, like the, the before retirement age. So people that are primarily healthy um, and able to look after themselves, maybe don't have a high instance of chronic illness. That up until recently was one medical's target audience. Now with the acquisition of our health, they are going further into um, that over 65 population. Now they're bringing in Medicare, um, Medicare Advantage, uh, and this is their way to actually focus more of what they can do well, which is keep people healthy mm-hmm. into the population that does consume more of healthcare costs. So I think that uh, when, when they announced the acquisition, maybe it sent a signal to bears that, okay, they're done growing in the sort of working right. population. But what I see this is as a massive expansion of their mm-hmm. addressable market um, and, and a real great opportunity to leverage their technology their AI and um, and their what they do well in, in on a broader scale and make a real impact. So, well, uh, uh, so what I mean, exciting things still happening with that company? Well, so sorry, you know, uh, well one one thing here is it it could just be really early, right? Yeah. These are the the new entrants because even even uh, Tabula Rosa uh, that that's that's been getting hit too. It. it it just might be so early and, and it's kind of like the dot-com where there are just so many companies and then they're going to be in the end, a few winners, and they're all just trying to position themselves right now. And Wall Street's just trying to figure it out because they're, they're, they're acquiring companies, they're trying to consolidate the fragmented industry. That's such a good point. And if you look at uh, when any industry is new, you've got a lot of entrants and a lot of the new healthcare IT and services IPOs have been this new primary care model. These, there's a lot of companies out there that are, that are trying to be the, that quarterback of the patient's care. And there's a lot of ways to approach it. You can either approach it from a a capitated model standpoint, like PACE, where you get a flat rate to look after a patient and that's it. And, mm-hmm. or you can approach it uh, like uh, where you, you, your target audience is employers who have mostly healthy um, employees and, and they, they, they charge them a subscription, for example. There's a lot of different models that are out there. And One Medical, um, to your point about this being early, right. is exciting because they're like, okay, well, we've got, we've got a foothold in this one market. Let's, let's now expand our market to this other area. Because you're right, um, it is early days and everybody's just trying to get their foothold on as much of the market as they can. And, uh, and there's a lot of room for everyone right now, because as I mentioned earlier, we do have a lot of problems in healthcare that can be prevented if people did manage their primary care uh, in, in a way that it was meant to be. Yeah, and just very quickly here, Nina, with the, where do you see like kind of those large cap tech stocks, those big tech players, playing in this area too because you know apple's slowly moving in with their apple watch and and google's mm-hmm. obviously doing things are, Amazon are they for a little while was saying hey we're gonna dabble in this exactly. thing. <laughs> right right so so obviously there that you have them all on the side looking in because this is just such, such a huge market how, how do you see them interacting with some some of these companies are they potentially partnering with some of these companies or are they gonna work with some other companies to try to take these companies out um, all of the above. So they are like um, you'll you'll see it as a consumer in in uh, gadgets like Apple Watch having more ways to measure your metrics. Yep. Um, uh, more data. And then there's ways that you might not see it as much where um, where a hospital might be leveraging Amazon uh, Web or where they're leveraging storage from one of these large tech companies. So um, so there are there are a lot of ways that they are um, already working together as partners. Um, Will they be the ones to solve the, the healthcare problems? Not, not alone. I right. think that right. uh, in order for something to really work for one of the large tech companies, they would ha- look, healthcare is messy. So 
Um, so maybe let the healthcare first companies lead the way and then where they need to plug in the gaps, where they need um, better web services, artificial intelligence, for example, um, uh, ca capital uh, investments, uh, maybe that's where it's great to partner. But I absolutely see a place for the big, te uh, the big tech companies um, to start solving some of these unmet needs, but I don't think that they will do it uh, exclusive of, of the healthcare first companies, if you will. Okay, so before we finish out this segment, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about precision medicine and specifically spatial biology, because that's something that I'm sure a lot of members of our audience haven't heard about. Sure. Spatial biology is really exciting. This is, uh, this is something that people expect to be the next next-gen sequencing. So what do I mean by that? Uh, right now, when we do analysis and, and, and uh, gene sequencing analysis, let's say uh, you have an NGS test and let's use an analogy of a smoothie. What was that test? Next-gen sequencing test. Okay, very good, NGS, uh, okay. Let's say, you, you, like the analogy I like to use is a smoothie where okay. yeah, you can maybe do an analysis on it and figure out, okay, it's got raspberries um, and, and I think strawberries, but we're not sure how many, and there might be some other things in here too. With spatial biology, it's like having a really fancy fruit tray where you know not only that there are raspberries, but they're right here and the strawberries mm -hmm. are right here and you know exactly how many of them there are. Mm -hmm. So you get this extra level of detail granularity that will help uh, further science because now, um, an example of in today's world is where you have a companion diagnostic, um, let's say for breast cancer. So you run the test to see if a very specific cancer gene is present in the tumor and then whether or not the subsequent treatment would be appropriate here. Right. In many cases, that, that treatment might be prescribed, but it still might not work. And, and the reason why is because there is information missing. There might be some other genetic mutation that that treatment is not addressing. Mm -hmm. So with the bigger, more specific picture of what's happening, you can then give that to uh, work in partnership with a pharmaceutical company and say, okay, um, let's come up with a slightly different treatment that will address all of these mutations. So super exciting, very early days. One company that's really uh, got an edge in this is Akoya. They're recently public. Um, another one, Nanostring. These are both companies in the HTEC ETF. And Akoya, um, the ticker symbol on that is AKYA. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so Akoya is particularly exciting because they've been present in the research world. They're gaining market share, but what they have a nice foothold in is the uh, actual clinical world. What do I mean by that? So um, right now, a lot of the information that we're getting out of sequencing and, and, and all of this new genomic science is happening in the research world, in the academic setting. Mm -hmm. How do we actually put this information in the hands of an oncologist or use it with pharmaceutical company and actually come up with treatments. Um, and so in order to, to, to bridge that, to translate that into the clinical setting, um, it requires a lot of research and that, that's been a big hurdle. But Akoya has actually made headways into the clinical setting and they're very well positioned for that theme to grow. So as, as consumers of healthcare, we might have more opportunities in the future to see some of these applications and, and connect the dots between what we're learning about genomics and how we're actually using it to manage our healthcare. Great. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take a break right now. And when we get back in the next segment, we'll go over some more stocks that are hitting some of these themes um, and really kind of looking at a big addressable market that they're uh, potentially going to be serving. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you're especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical. All investments involve risk, including loss of some or all of an investment. May not be suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. 
Welcome back to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Pires and our guest, Nina Decca from RoboGlobal, a senior analyst there. And she's been talking to us a lot about these healthcare themes. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about some of the stocks that are setting up and taking advantage of these. Now, one thing I should start out and you know say, a lot of the charts that we've been pulling up, you know, the the, the, the charts don't look that great, right? These are stocks that have been kind of, uh, you know, out of favor for a little while. A lot of these don't have earnings. Now you do see the sales ramping up. So just kind of put an overall, uh, I guess, picture on this for a lot of these healthcare names, Nina. Uh, are, are, these, are these companies that are doing a lot of investment uh, still, or is it something that investors aren't seeing the potential quite yet? What, what, what's your take on it? Well, I think in general, with the the correction that you guys discussed earlier, and um, and then pressures around uh, around government bonds and yields increasing, yield treasury yields on the rise, uh, you'll often see tech stocks take a hit. And so, right. tech is all tech stocks; it's healthcare tech. <laughs> yeah. and so, um, it's going to get a little extra hit. And if anything, in in my view, that's an opportunity for uh, for for some great entry points across all of these themes. Um, I mentioned earlier that we 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 kind of by bisect or dissect these into five different investable themes. The way that we look at it at Robo is we break down and say, okay, what are the real areas where we see the most disruption happening over the next five, 10 years in healthcare? And we we wind up with like nine different subsectors, including telehealth, as I mentioned earlier, right. genomics, as I mentioned earlier, another cool subsector called we call pr- process automation. And this is one where uh, where companies will partner with some other company kind of behind the scenes to help them manufacture or get their products to market. And uh, and so um, so we believe in this diversification because we think it really offers uh, an investor the ability to capture what's happening in the different areas when the time is hot. Maybe mm-hmm. telehealth has taken a back seat this year, but last year it was it was on fire. Uh, maybe precision medicine is is the place to be right now. Biotech, um, while some of these other areas are taking a back seat, but process automation is where it's at right now. And so, uh, if you have a diversified portfolio, you can gain access to to companies like Catalent, for example. Well, let's go ahead and start there. Now, Catalent, this is one where. It's been on a lot of our screens because this is one that has had earnings. It has had some strong revenue growth and it's been getting rewarded by the market. Now, this in a way uh, is, is a little bit of a, a COVID play. How so? A little bit, but but there are so much more okay. than that. So um, let, let's start with what they do. So let's say about an estimated one third or a little bit more than one third of drug manufacturing is outsourced. A lot of these pharma mm-hmm. companies and biotech companies can't do everything on their own. Imagine all of the, these, these biotech startups, uh, they just raised capital, they just went public, they don't have the factory. Mm-hmm. And if they're working on an orphan drug, maybe their clinical trial only has four patients. How do you manufacture that at scale for a clinical right. trial just to even bring a drug like that to market? So a lot of these companies have to partner with a manufacturing organization, CDMO, Contract Development Manufacturing Organization. Mm-hmm. Catalan falls into that bucket. In the last five years, Catalan went all in in investing on being that that partner that can help these companies develop these very unique specialized drugs. And, uh, and one of the people that they partnered with, one of the companies they partnered with was Moderna. So they had an edge on mRNA and really were able to step up to the plate when Moderna had to manufacture the COVID vaccine at scale. Um, and, and now as a result, Catalan has the, the manufacturing expertise and knows how to bring mRNA therapies um, across the finish line. That bodes very well for a brand new part of the industry. So as more companies decide that they want to manufacture or even develop uh, mRNA treatments, um, Catalan's sitting in a very sweet spot for that. They also partner with J&J and help right. manufacture that COVID vaccine, which is based on a different therapeutic modality. Catalan has invested heavily in their ability to manufacture viral vector therapies. Mm-hmm. So they really went niche and they're like, we're going to do this tiny thing that's expensive and hard to do, and we're going to do it really well. And, and they're seeing results. Uh, they recently raised their long-term uh, revenue growth rate by a couple hundred basis points. Um, stock moved on that. They also saw year-over-year growth in their what they're calling their biologics division. That's the division that I just described as all this cool high-tech stuff. That grew like 66% year-over-year. And what a lot of people don't know about Catalan is they invented the soft gel. 
Yeah, I was I was so amazed when when you when you said that. I I I looked into it. And I'm like, holy cow! And that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. um, very so interesting. A lot of companies behind the scenes. Lanza is another example that 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 a lot of these innovative companies work with in order to get uh, their drugs to market. And and what's interesting is it's it's really it doesn't matter who the winner is. A lot of them, you know, it's it's a good chance that the winner is going to be using Catalan. You know, so they win no matter if it's Moderna or, you know, whoever that kind of comes to market first with some of this stuff. Um, they're they're behind the scenes uh, getting the business no matter they're, what. Yeah. They're, the, they're the picks and shovels play, right? Absolutely. They fall in that category. Yeah. And they're kind of a, a like a lower risk uh, way to get exposure to a lot of this innovation. Mm-hmm. Of, um, like Cadillac gets paid for helping a company with their clinical trial. If that drug never comes to market, if it fails, right. right. Cadillac still did the business. They still, right. they still provided a service. Mm-hmm. If it does make it to market, they get to be a long-term partner potentially for the life of that drug. Keep in mind that when a, when a company files for FDA approval, they have to submit a form that says, here's how we're going to manufacture this mm-hmm. drug or the trial. And eventually when it comes to market, so Catalan or companies like Catalan have already been factored into the recipe. They're locked in for, for early partners. Time. And then decades later, when, when the drugs fall off patent, guess who still holds the ability to manufacture right. this thing at scale. Um, and so as generics come into play, they might ring Catalan's, Catalan's phone number and, and, and say, Hey, we, we understand you know how to make this well. Um, the You've already got this process right down. Can you do it for us? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there's other companies that are like that too. Uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific uh, right. owns the largest CDMO through their acquisition of Patheon. And that's TMO as the ticker symbol yep. on that. That's another company in the HTech ETF as well. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, maybe turn our attention to another stock. Um, you know, this is one that we've been talking about a little bit more recently, had a had a nice move previously, then took a break. Uh, Dexcom. Now, this is in the diabetes. And, and we do have a lot of these uh, situations where you've got these chronic diseases that require uh, another level of monitoring and, you know, you, you don't want to mess this stuff up. So what is it that Dexcom is doing? Uh, and is there something that they're doing differently now than they were before? So Dexcom uh, is, is very interesting because they sell a continuous glucose monitor CGM mm-hmm. device, and it's, it's pretty well known for its level of accuracy. And it's also very small, uh, and what they've been working on for a while is the next generation of it. They're already on their sixth generation, the G6, and they're working on the launch of the G7. They just announced that they filed for CE mark approval so that they can market this in, in Europe, and they expect to launch it in Europe by the end of this year. And they just finished their trial in the U.S., and they're looking to file soon for the U.S., and we don't know exactly when that'll be launching in the United States, the G7, but the G6 is fine. Uh, people love it. They've, they've gained a lot of market share. Like I said, it's accurate. It's easy to use. It's very small. Um, actually, the G7 will be even smaller. It'll be the size of a nickel. And, wow. Uh, wow. and so one of the things that they're doing is they're going after a, a broader market. So when we think of continuous glucose monitoring, we're thinking of people with type 1 diabetes who say you have to uh, do a finger stick like eight times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that requires reminders, alerts. And if you have it where it's continuously being monitored, then you don't, you save yourself from having to stick yourself with a needle and check it on your own. The, the, the user doesn't have to do anything anymore. They just get to wear this device. What's new is that this technology is now increasingly being deployed into type two patients. So not just people who are insulin dependent, for example, but people who, uh, who got diabetes later in life. And, and that is a much bigger addressable market. So, uh, and, and even pre-diabetes, this is something that a doctor might want to recommend to a patient to keep an eye on their glucose. Um, so, so the market keeps growing and, and the use cases and the potential for the use cases is also growing. Uh, Dexcom is also integrated with the, the insulin pump manufacturers right. like Handum and with Insulate. And so, um, so, so having that integration, they're also a partner of Livongo. I mentioned them earlier. This is a company that was acquired by Teladoc. Um, so you can use the CGM device to also have that, 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 that coach in your pocket that's, that can call you and, and nudge you if you need to drink a glass of orange juice. Um, so their integration is, is, is large. 
Um, their ability to sell in, uh, into the pharmacy setting um, is also going to help them gain, gain traction. And these CGM devices were also, uh, they, they were kind of game-changing last year in the inpatient setting. We think of monitoring your glucose as something you do at home, which it is. But during COVID, we found the, that, uh, that the people with diabetes were at higher risk of severe complications with mm. COVID-19. And, and yet now you're in a, potentially in a coma or, or in an isolation room and it, or very sick and it's very hard to, to track your glucose. So companies like Abbott and Dexcom were, were able to provide these CGM devices into the inpatient setting, which weren't traditionally used there in the past. And now uh, the, it enabled the providers to monitor the patients, uh, the glucose um, and, and keep them healthy and alive. So, so Nina, so they, they have an app that you can just have on the phone for the, the continuous monitoring? Yeah. And, and that can all be integrated wirelessly. And uh-huh. this goes back to what I was talking about with like connectivity and virtual mm-hmm. care. Um, and it notifies maybe the doctor or something like that. That's what you're Exactly. Okay, exactly. That's very interesting. And and yeah, and this is and gives that doctor data. There's probably a continuous yeah. readout of okay, here's here's how it fluctuated. And alerts can be set up in order to um, to 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 notify somebody if something goes out of range. You can track over a longer period of time to see how the patient's doing if if something needs to be modified. But this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how we we see the doctor face to face for a couple minutes a year, but then we're left to our own devices to manage our own care. And so something like this, to your point, connected to the internet, can it can give the doctor information about what you're doing. And I, I do want to make clear that I also own shares of Dexcom. Uh, it has been working quite well, especially over the last couple of months. And, and so um, it started coming back up on my radar. Mm-hmm. Very good. Let's go ahead and end uh, with another stock. Um, F-A-T-E is the ticker symbol on this one. And uh, what is it that this, this company does, Nina? So this is another interesting therapeutic company. They don't have a drug on the market yet, but they are progressing um, through clinical trials. They're working on a different therapeutic modality known as natural killer cells. Uh, NK is the abbreviation of it. Mm-hmm. And this is where you can take like a, a stem cell one time and, and then uh, replicate it and make many, many uh, copies of it. And then essentially make the drug uh, in a lab, if you will, and then use that uh, for a very long period of time with wherever and however you need to use it. Um, this compares to another therapeutic modality known as CAR-T where uh, in order to use that therapy, you actually have to take cells out of the patient and then ship it off, have the drug manufactured, ship it back, and then administer it into the patient. So it's the patient's sample that's then making the drug. Mm-hmm. Whereas with natural killer cells, it's cells that exist, they're off the shelf, and then you can use them in any way that's needed. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about natural killer, uh, also compared to CAR-T, is that process of of CAR T, where you have to take the cells, ship it off, manufacture, uh, it's it's difficult. It's more difficult to scale, and that whole treatment regimen could cost two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars, give or take, over a hundred grand at least. Whereas um, with Natural Killer, you could make make you manufacture this drug in about two thousand dollars. So. Wow. It costs a lot less to make. It's available off the shelf. Um, well, it's not available yet, but that, that's mm-hmm. the that's the, the, the goal. goal. And um, and then it's potentially uh, could be safer. It could lead to lower toxicity. Not to say there's anything wrong with CAR T. CAR T is great. It's saving lives. Um, it's it's showing durability. So uh, fate could just be yet another option, and, and it does have potential to be a better option in some circumstances where we invest in both CAR-T stocks as well as fate um, for this natural killer. And, um, and so it's really exciting with the lower potential for lower toxicity. Data that the uh, investor community is waiting on, um, some next catalyst would be um, to find out if fate does have the similar du- durability as, as CAR-T. And so um, time will, the passage of time will help tell whether or not the patients that have been treating with it were able to keep their, um, their cancer levels lower. Well, speaking of potential and expectations, this is a stock that in the last five years has gone from about $1.50 to over $100. So there are, there, there definitely are some expectations and 
uh, going with this. And as you compare with the prices, $250,000 or around there to $2,000 and just kind of off the shelf. Yeah, I mean, th this, uh, this idea and, and this therapy uh, is, uh, ha has that huge potential. And are there competitors here? Are there other people doing this? Or is this, um, is this yeah. kind of like at the cutting edge of it? There's more than a handful of companies uh, yeah. going after this space. So it, it's definitely something that's exciting and, and Faith's not the only one. But I, I believe Faith's uh, a technology leader in, in this particular part of the market. So um, there are several years ahead of other companies that are also going after NK. Mm -hmm. And um, it looks like there are a couple of IBD mutual funds already uh, invested in it, Columbia and T. Royal Price. Yeah, two, two that we uh, follow very closely. So, and again, uh, with, with a technology called natural killer, that's probably pretty ap appropriate for a Halloween month uh, coming up. So uh, now, uh, Nina, you, you, you write a blog. I, you, you sent me your blog on, on Catalent, which was, again, really interesting. Um, wh where can people find more information? Because, uh, again, there's, there's a lot that you uh, have to cover, a lot of themes um, that you're, you're keeping track of. Where, where's a sure. good place for people to find information? RoboGlobalETFs.com is a great place to go to learn more about the ETF. Mm -hmm. And then again, you, you, have, you have some blogs that are available there, which again, are just absolutely fascinating. Uh, some, some really great work. And as you mentioned at the outset, uh, the, uh, an opportunity that's huge given how much um, inefficiencies there are in healthcare, how much the costs are, and you know, just ripe for disruption. That's right. Yeah, it, it's it's really early days. There's a lot of room for growth. Um, there, we're we're just we're just starting to see uh, what's going to be transformed over the next decade, and it's a really exciting time to be involved with healthcare innovation. Okay, and of course that uh, ETF that you are most intimate with is HTEC from Robo Global, so people can check that out and kind of keep an eye on the stocks that you are following. So it's thank you so much. Or so companies in it, so people who are like, I don't know where to start. There's so much cool things happening in healthcare. I don't know which one stock to buy. Single stock picking can be really tricky if you're not a healthcare expert. Yeah. You can buy a basket of them and have exposure to these different areas. Well, and as you mentioned, there's also uh, different things coming into favor at different times. And so you can kind of be still participating um, even when things are falling out of favor temporarily possible. That's right. So, mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us again, Nina. It was great having you. Thanks so much for having me. And on next week's show, oh my gosh, Arusha, we've got Scott St. Clair uh, coming to the show. He's senior, what, what, what is it? Senior product manager coach now. and manager now. Uh, I guess just the manager title manager. applies. Yeah. Just manager. He's no longer senior anything. Um, but uh, Scott, of course, uh, you guys just had a really great webinar uh, on MarketSmith uh, from Napa Valley, which was uh, quite enjoyable to watch. Uh, so uh, a great friend of the show. We're excited to have Scott St. Clair back. So make sure you tune into that next week. Uh, thanks for watching us this week, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.